Hey everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs, coming at you with another episode, just a few weeks after my last one. Can you believe it? Well, don't get used to it, because I'm not sure when my next episode's coming out. So the best thing for you to do is to follow me on Twitter, at Four Songs 2. That's at Four Songs Number 2, or subscribe to this podcast, however you're listening to it now. That way you don't miss anything. So, what led to this episode coming out so quickly? Well, this is the first time... I've ever had a release come out the same day as a new album. This is being timed. So if you're listening to this right now on March 24th, there's a very good chance that after you listen to this episode, you're going to want to go out and then get the Scarlet Goodbye's new debut album called Hope's Eternal. Now, who is the Scarlet Goodbye? About two years ago, I had one of my all-time heroes on this show, Dan Murphy, former guitarist from Soul Asylum and a key player, guitar player, singer, songwriter with my favorite band from college, Golden Smog. Think back to when you first really got into music. I mean, for me, I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, you know, I was listening to somehow I got introduced to The Clash. No idea how that happened. And that led to discovering other punk bands that were from most of them were from England, like the Sex Pistols, Public Image Limited. Their offshoots, Big Arnie Dynamite and the like, you know, all these bands were bigger than life. They were from another country. They were just, to me, they were, they were just giants. And as I got a little older, my tastes evolved. You know, I kind of came across Soul Asylum watching MTV one day and, you know, the song was Somebody to Shove and I just instantly fell in love with it. And the more I dug into their albums, you know, I go way back. I mean, I went from... Grave Dancers Union all the way back to the beginning. And I listened to them. I just fell in love with the music. And more importantly, I fell in love with the band because unlike The Clash, unlike the Sex Pistols and other bands, you know, these guys look just like me. I don't know. There's something about it just stuck out to me and just started really relating to Soul Asylum in particular and, and Dan's songs. Dan didn't write a lot of their music, but I'd say my favorite ones from Soul Asylum were written by Dan. So I'm kind of going a little crazy here, but uh, it was just a, a thrill to welcome Dan a couple years ago, if you remember, he came on the show to talk about two Golden Smog songs and then two new songs that he'd been working on. We weren't quite sure when those newer songs were coming out, but as I said at the very beginning, today is the debut of his new band's album. The band is The Scarlet Goodbye. It's Dan Murphy and his new songwriting cohort, Jeff Arundel. Jeff is also from Minneapolis. They've both been in the scene music business for decades. As we'll hear in this interview, it was sort of a chance meeting that led to Dan getting back into the music business to begin with, because you may recall that he left it about 10 years ago. He was just kind of getting fed up with the grind and the touring and everything. And then again, as I said, it was sort of an off chance meeting with Jeff Arundel at a house party. Dan took a tour of Jeff's in-house studio and was just transfixed and just saying, man, I really miss this. So in this interview, we talk about four songs from the band's brand new album, Angel Dust, Panic and Blame, Julianne, and Celebrated Summer, which is the one cover song. I don't want to take up too much more time, but I just do want to mention something I kind of went off about how much I just enjoyed and fell in love with Dan's music back when I was in high school and in college. You know, we kind of talk a little bit about some of the earlier stuff from Soul Asylum as Dan recounts how technologies have changed and writing songs have changed over the years. And he just kind of drops casually albums like While You're Out and Hang Time. And those were probably two of my most favorite solo album albums. Those, there were songs on there that Dan wrote that just got me through some, you know, tough adolescent times that happens to all of us in high school. There are some songs that Dan wrote on those records that got me through 
So it's just a thrill to bring him back and welcome him to Four Songs again. So please join me in welcoming Dan Murphy back to Four Songs. So welcome back, Dan, to, to Four Songs. It's been almost two years ago, I think, where we talked last. And I'm sure we're going to cover quite a bit over the next several minutes. But between the return of live music and your new album coming out, Hope's Eternal, you've been busy. Yeah, I've been pretty busy. I started playing a little bit with the Smog again. The Golden Smog did a few shows. That was really fun. And I didn't expect that. And yeah, I think it's been about three years since I started recording music for The Scarlet Goodbye. And it was January of the COVID year. So we kind of took our time and recorded 12. Initially, we did six songs. It was going to be like an EP. And then like the woman we were talking to that had a record label, she was like, we don't really put out EPs, so, you know, record another six songs. So we spent a good amount of time, but, you know, in that time we wrote and recorded and produced or whatever. So it was kind of casual, but also kind of fun. It was nice to have the luxury of not having a timeline of like, oh, we better get this finished soon because people are waiting. I mean, we're not that naive. It's like a brand new band. So I feel like we have to build the story. The first thing you need is good music. Well, there's plenty of that from what I've heard. And <laughs> well, so, thank you. Yeah, and so, yeah, the last we, we spoke, you, you were still working on a couple of songs. It was about a couple of years ago, and it wasn't clear that it was coming out or when. We knew it was coming out, but just didn't know when. But it's we're talking March, end of March. and Yeah, yeah, we're going to do vinyl, CDs, and uh, obviously streaming, and we got a little record deal with a company in Nashville that's called End Groove. So, yeah, I mean, we have a little label, and it's going to be on Universal Music Group, which means that they can get it streaming on all the platforms and come up with artwork. And But, yeah, we basically it's been self-contained. We paid for everything we've produced. We've mixed everything, and we delivered, you know, basically master files to them to be released. So I'm excited. I don't know what it's going to look like when it comes out, but... I think it's good music, and I'm excited to do it again, I guess. I mean, it's sort of a lot of work. I like playing. I like probably recording more than I like playing live, but I enjoy it. But you kind of, I remember that there's parts of it I really like and parts of it I don't like so much, like in the music business as a whole. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of coming back to me, not in a bad way, but it's just like, I don't know. I'm I'm not very good at promoting or promotion or... I just, mine doesn't think that way. I feel like if you write and record music that's compelling, that should be enough. And I don't know if it just seems like it's a whole different set of rules or whatever. So trying to figure it out, Rob. Well, that was one thing I wanted to ask you because it, it has been about 10 years, right, since you left Soul Asylum. And yeah, it's like, I think it was, yeah, it was like 2000 and. 16, maybe I quit. So I don't okay. think I did a record probably. Yeah, so it's probably 10 years since I made a record. And I think it, at that time yeah. I probably did. That last Smog record was kind of before that. And as I discussed with you last time, I mean, I literally took like six years off where I didn't pick up the guitar. So it was like kind of rewarding coming back, but it was also kind of brutal because, I don't know, I did it. It was a huge part of my life for 30 years. And then to not do it at all for six years, it was kind of, mind-bending in a way hmm. well what did you miss the most because i know you you had you met jeff and let's talk a little bit about your jeff your your songwriting partner here uh, jeff arundel i met jeff at a like a holiday party like the december of the year before covid and he took me up to his little studio on the top floor and i was like holy you know he played us like, i didn't even know at the time he'd written this song but it's really pretty 
country song. It was called, like, I'm Played Out. It was just, it kind of sounded like, well, I don't know, a beautiful song, but I hadn't done that in a while. I was sitting there, and I barely even knew the guy. I was like, oh, God, I kind of miss this. It's like the first time I sat casually at someone's, you know, music listening place and kind of listened to, and I, I was like, oh, you recorded that in this room? Like, what, mus- you know, musicians did you use? But it was interesting that you could make something that sounded really direct and interesting in a pretty humble home studio environment in like an attic of a guy's nice house, you know. To me, that was kind of compelling. Like, we were, Soul Asylum was completely, well, we used Pro Tools and stuff like the last three or four records, but like when we did the record after Grave Dancers, I lived in L.A. for five months and we did a record at, you know, I think we probably spent almost a million dollars making that record, which is, you know, but that's what people did back then. I mean, like money was, record labels were, were throwing it at bands and, Money was no object, and there was never to be a downside. I mean, every you know, so like spend what you need. But it, I mean, it was very. I don't know. We hired Butch Vig, who was interesting, and we, you know, made, I think it's an okay record. We didn't have a lot of time to write that record because we were out doing Grave Dancers for mm-hmm. you know two years or two and a half years, and then the record company's like, okay, go home for two months and write a record, and we'll record. Mm-hmm. Like we hadn't really done it that way before. We'd usually you know have six or seven or eight months to write. So it was a little bit kind of a break in our routine, I guess. Well, so when you left Soul Asylum and you said you didn't do anything for, for six years, like what is it when you came back, what did you realize you missed the most? My favorite thing in music is harmony singing. I love that. I didn't have like, I didn't listen to like traditional country music, but I, I mean, I can appreciate a good harmony. But like in the early days of Soul Asylum, <clears throat> if you think about it, Husker Du was like they had harmonies. Replacements mm-hmm. had none. There wasn't any harmonies on any of the records. I mean, they didn't do it, you know. And we toured with the band X, I would say, in probably 1982. Oh, and wow. X and John would kind of sing together. And I was like, well, this is kind of cool, you know. And in my not-so-humble opinion, Dave was a, Perner was a way more gifted singer, like in terms of, genetics and I was but we really fucked around and tried to figure out how to sing harmonies and I remember kind of I don't know probably was hang time the first time we really got it right on the record there's a couple things like even tied to the tracks mm-hmm. early singles there's pretty harmony singing but I don't know it's like that's something that's really enjoyable to me and so when in terms of kind of getting back in and starting to write again because yeah, I like to, to get into that a little bit on this show. And what, I guess, would it take you a while to kind of start to write these songs again? Yeah, yeah. it did. It took a long time. I mean, for me, like the pandemic started to happen. And I was like, you know, like in living in Minneapolis, like a couple of years later, like the George Floyd thing happened in the city. just mm-hmm. seemed like it was just like fucking torn apart. I mean, it's, it didn't resemble... Like, I remember when the George Floyd thing happened, they burned down the precinct and everything. I was in, like, Indiana that day for business or Columbus, Ohio or somewhere, and I drove home, and I went to where that where that convenience store was, and I just saw, like, there was blocks and blocks of Minneapolis burned, and it was just like, you know, I was just, it was so weird. And it was just like, I was like, if a person can't write a poignant piece of music right now, they should never be able to write anything poignant in their life because it just seemed like it was sort of there for the asking. I mean, I don't think our records 
you know, politically ambitious, but I think it, it was really like a thing where if you're ever going to do anything creative and, and artistic, it's just seemed like the time to do it. Well, we'll get into that as we, we talk about the new album. The band is The Scarlet Goodbye and Hope's Eternal is the record. Um, we talked last time, we, we discussed Rosary and Fresh New Hell, and those are still on the album. But um, Yeah, first track we and, about, yeah. Is it first and last one, or is it? Yeah, I think so, like first and second and last or something. But yeah, I mean, I think Rosary was kind of like the like kismet starting place of what we were trying to do, and it's like, Sounds like a band I've never heard before. I mean, it's very reminiscent of The Cure or whatever, maybe like mm-hmm. that kind of Britpop thing. But to me, you could almost dance to it. <laughs> I've never yeah. written a song that you could dance yeah. to. It. <laughs> so even on that, on its own thing, I was like, well, this is kind of different and new for me. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. kind of appreciative of how quickly and organically that came together. Like I'm just, you know, like literally like, scratch lyric ideas and a guitar riff I had is all I had when I came in there and I felt like the band really delivered on it and I was like holy shit man you know this could be a song and like I had such a rough idea of what that riff was I mean I remember like going through my notes and my phone when I was writing it and I was like it sounded like lost in the supermarket by the class hmm. I wanted to kind of change it I was like oh, hmm. you know so but I, it was funny it was a very kind of intense process like turning that into a song but it was also really seamless and troubleless and fun and organic so I, I really that's what I that's what I missed about the music business like you can be in a room with people and you'd say well I got this thing it kind of goes like this and here's the riff and here's my melody and then you just chart out the arrangement and they deliver on it that's really really promising and that's the great thing about music I think mm, that- and how long do you think it took for, for you and Jeff to kind of reach that level of, of trust with each other? Well, it was so weird that we really didn't know each other that much, you know. Um, I complimented uh, him on his vocabulary, <laughs> like his, his aesthetic for lighting and his restaurant. But it's like, it was totally just a lark. And it's like, you know, I think with Dave and Soul Son, we didn't really write together much. Like sometimes he, like there'd be a part of a song of mine that he really liked. And he'd go, oh, I'm going to take this and like vice versa but we didn't sit down and write together and in the smog i think i wrote with jeff and gary and perlman but like writing with someone is like it either works pretty well or it doesn't work at all like immediately and we were pretty surprised to find that we could sit there you know with an idea for a song and after 40 minutes or an hour we'd say well that's kind of cool that's a cool chord change i like that line and then it's just you know finding the time to, to suss it out well, we'll be talking about Angel Dust, Panic and Blame, Battle of Julianne, and then the one cover, Celebrated Summer. We talked a little bit about Who's Gonna Do already. We'll get back to, to that as we talk about that song. I mean, I could never do anything. I, I, you know, I, I played guitar, and I actually, you know, because I always think back to the, we talked about the Clash last time, but you know, they always talked about you could play along with their songs, and I was like, I really <laughs> couldn't, because I just had a good acoustic guitar, <laughs> but I could play along to, to your songs, like, Dan, that's what... That's how I kind of started to to evolve a little bit, but I just never had the the discipline to sit down and write something. It drives my wife crazy because I had she bought me some <laughs> nice stuff, and I'll be playing something and be like yeah, that sounds cool, and I'll just be she's like oh that sounds nice, so that's crap. And <laughs> but there's got to be like a discipline to it too. Yeah, I think it's just like um, I don't know. I I feel like 
you know, like when I was young, I, like the first record I recorded in Solo Sound, I was probably 21 and Davis probably 18 or 19. And I feel like we had so much ambition, you know, we just wanted to go, we just wanted to like, you know, tear up the world, but we had no idea of how to make a record, like that the guitars were in tune. So I feel like we always had more ambition than we had talent, but over the years, I think just being around the studio that much and, you know, playing on other people's records and your own records, I just feel like I've kind of settled into however you get there to like make a good recording of a song. It's everyone's going to be a different process. You just have to give into it and just not, not push on it. You just have to sit there and be reactive and positive and cognitive about like, Oh, you know, this song sounds a little flat here. Maybe we could, you know, it's just a matter of being creative and I guess being confident, but being calm, which is hard if you're like in a, you know, 21 year old punk rock band or something, you just want to like blow up the whole world on every single song. Mm -hmm. And I think like in early solo song, you know, we kind of missed, I think that the first, like demo tape we did that had black and blue on it was way better than our first record. It was, that was like an interesting recording. And I feel like when we made the first record, I think we had three days to do it. And I just, you know, I mean, I think there were good songs there. We just, we weren't ready for it or something, but it's part of the creative process process moving forward. And I feel like if you can take that, even if it was disappointing and learn from it, therein lies the value, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about, Start with Angel Dust because I mean this sounds at least the riff sounds right at home with a lot of your your material. Yeah, yeah, me in. definitely. So, yeah, yeah, and this is one of the first few singles, right? I mean, this is yeah. out for a little while, but so how did this one come to you? It was like a conscious effort um, on Jeff's hinting to let's try to write a positive, <laughs> like you know, like a pop song or a rock song, like in a major key. That, you know, so that was like a very conscious thing to kind of do, like, a, and that riff is something I've been kicking around for a long, the guitar riff at the beginning. I tried to write kind of positive relationship type lyrics. And I thought, I don't know, like I'm probably older than you, but Angel Dust was something that people used to take in the seventies. So I thought that was kind of a funny name for a title of a song. And apparently it's like the nickname that the guy in the song has for his girlfriend and calls her Angel Dust. But I don't know. It was kind of interesting. And I thought the art break in the middle, like the minor thing was kind mm -hmm. of very like maybe trip Shakespeare-esque, like another Minneapolis band that was around and, Kind of an, I thought it was kind of an interesting art break.
you know, like you know, everybody has reservations about being, but this is like some boat ride thing. That, I don't know. It was very sideways humor, I guess, gallow humor, sort of in a way that at least was attempted. <laughs> I mean, when I listened to it, because I, I remember when it came out, and then I started when I was getting ready for the interview. I listened, started listening to all these songs again, and listened to the lyrics. It kind of sounded like, in a way, that you were kind of welcoming your, yourself back to music in a way. <laughs> I don't yeah, know, I mean, I, it's funny because that, like, literally, Rob, you kind of nailed that. That's a, like a guitar riff I've had around for a long time. So it, that is like a guitar riff from Soul Asylum days, you know. Mm. And I actually think I wrote a song that was outtake from the record Butch Vig did that was called The Only Game in Town that started with that, meaning that, that guitar riff. And the chords weren't the same after that. But I remember everybody kind of liked it, and we wanted to kind of do it. But then just we had so many songs at that point, it kind of fell by the wayside. So that is literally like a re- not a recycle, but something that I wrote like in the '90s, trying to write a perfect, you know, punk rock pop song for Soul Asylum. At least the guitar riff was. Okay, the Panic and Blame, which is a it's a bit more of a slower. I know this was another single though. Yeah, it's kind of like a Fleetwood Mac kind of vibe. We just just had the guitar riff, the acoustic riff, and then we wrote lyrics together. And I know we tried to do like this story about like a guy and a girl are getting like separated or divorced or something, and. He goes to some club and he sees a band and they started singing songs about wanting more. And then he realizes like this is his band and he invites his ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife to the show. And, you know, he left his tickets at the door, but she didn't show up. It's kind of the vibe of that song, you know. That was kind of fun to do. We actually used this guy we didn't use, but this guy contributed. His name is Jeff Victor, 
that was in oh, a band yeah. called Sussman Lawrence, and he played with Peter Himmelman, was in that band. He was like married, I think, Bob Dylan's daughter. Mm. And he did all those beautiful kind of keyboard and slide guitar things at the top. He sang some of those harmonies. We just kind of gave him a tape of the basic track of this. And, you know, we didn't even, like, you know, overlook what he did. He sent his stuff back. And I was like, holy shit, dude, that's beautiful. So that was actually kind of a fun trick. Jeff and him are friends. But, yeah, he's like, you know, he's played a lot of stuff, recorded a lot of stuff, and he really connected with – he actually played on the Ballad of Julianne, too. So, like, okay. kind of those overdubs are – we just kind of sent him files and just said, you know, no direction at all. Like, what do you, what do you hear on these things? And we're like, oh, yeah, I just felt like he just kind of – took it into like a really different oral um, app. Like it's interesting with the harmonies and the keyboard parts. It's very, kind of sounds like dreams that Fleetwood Mac song. Mm-hmm. Panic. Yeah. You talked earlier about harmony and there's a lot of harmony on this song. Yeah. I love the chorus. I think that's really a pretty chorus. feel like the last two songs we did with the band were that one and the ballad of, of julianne and the bass player in our band feels that we got significantly better as a band and recording in the last two songs we did he feels like it's more um kind of revealed and complete and we just kind of like we're we're hitting our stride so that's encouraging to me well, and especially because you the two of you come from very different places musically <laughs> you and, think yeah <laughs> Yeah, but like here, it really does work. Well, we'll maybe go to Julianne from there, which um, you mentioned earlier is, is I think you said it was your favorite on the album. And yeah, I just think it's a really haunting guitar line. It's like so weird, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know, kind of like Lennon-esque in a way. Well, the weird thing is like the guitar line is kind of. I started like some guy I follow on Instagram was like some Texas guy and he played like this really interesting turnaround like that I like I don't really I kind of can play country guitar but I don't know I, I was watching it on this thing I was like well that's kind of interesting and that was like literally the root of the chord change it doesn't sound anything like it now but it's like something I would have never thought to do like the first four chords of that song Setting fires, carnal desires, but we've been listening to liars. We could never seem to read a room. Wildfires, funeral pyres, tube amplifiers. That one I really worked at. Like, I wrote a lot of, I kind of modified the guitar thing, and I don't know, and we, the middle eight is kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, to me, 
that's, I mean, we made the video as like a young couple, you know, Julianne and Cooper, in this case, her boyfriend have a apartment together and their mattress is on the bed and their life isn't great. It's not bad. It's kind of static. But it's what it is. They're young. And then she has a baby kind of welcomed into the family, family and he kind of embraces it more than she does. And then she decides to join a traveling burlesque show called The Scarlet Goodbye and leaves family life and Cooper and the baby and goes out to, I guess, the darkness or the night or whatever. So that's kind of the concept. More of the video than the song, but it's kind of all related. So I don't know. I spent some time doing a video with this guy, Pablo Jones, who lives in Minneapolis. And I don't know, you're you're a Golden Smog person, right? Yeah. So the the star of that video, her name is Esther Levy. She is the daughter of the woman that the song V was written about. Oh, wow. Like with, with a ring in the side of her nose wearing other people's mm-hmm. clothes. That's es- that's Esther, is Victoria V's daughter, which is kind of full cir- circle. <laughs> and it was, yeah. I mean, that's kind of insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So the well, kids are all right. I thought that they really kind of embraced it. But I don't know. It's like kind of a dark narrative. And I just think there's some, I don't know, the way that melody is so wistful and kind of, I mean, I've never written or sang or recorded a song. It's kind of like a torch song or something that's interesting mm-hmm. to me. Well, it, it led to the album title, Hope's Eternal. Yeah, and, um, exactly. So how did that, and how, so that's all I could buy, and how, you, you just mentioned that you joined a, a troupe of, of called that, and how did that name come about? Uh, the Scarlet Goodbye was going to be called, we were going to be called Love Child, which I thought was kind of funny, and then we had a bunch of other names, like maybe one was called Stick the Landing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, they were all bad. And then we came up with the Scarlet, or the Irish Goodbye, which is like if you're on a bad date and you just go to the bathroom and leave. And then we, we don't really play Irish music. And then Jeff said, why don't we call it the Scarlet Goodbye? And I said, that's kind of great. And we were going to call the record Say Hello to the Scarlet Goodbye. But I really liked, like having Hope's Eternal. I'm glad that you noticed it. It's like a lyric and mm-hmm. a song. That's you know, a solo sound thing. I think Grave Dancers mm-hmm. Union. And it's just, it seems like, I don't know, it seems kind of makes it more like like performance art in some way, like, oh yeah, this is this in this song or whatever. So I think Hope's Eternal is kind of I don't know, I think it's kinda of poignant. Like if you've been doing this a long time, you've taken a long time off and you're in a new project and you're getting up there and doing interviews and playing performances and, you know, 
seeing how you fit into whatever the current configuration of the music business and industry is. I think hope's eternal is like a really good phrase. I mean, you just have to be hopeful of your craft, I guess, you know? Right, especially where we are as a country coming out of, I guess we're coming out of this pandemic, who knows? But I hope so, you have yeah. to be hopeful as well just to even get out the yeah. door sometimes. So I was um, like singing that in the studio and I was like, Jeff, I was like singing that line a couple of times. I was like, we should call the record Hope's Eternal. We just like, oh yeah, it just seemed like it really to kind of resonate with the artwork of the, you know, the woman that's getting nice thrown at her or whatever. It seemed like that's kind of just like a kind of parable almost, you know? Dan, I appreciate your time today. Let's wrap things up with Celebrated Summer, which is the one cover, Husker Du. And yeah. how did you... I, uh, I thought, I mean, I, I really, I love the song, and I started playing it just like a campfire song. And I found, I went on YouTube, and I found like a video of those guys playing, I think, Pink Pop in Holland, maybe in, I don't know, 1985 or 1986. And they did that arrangement of it. Like the the record's really different, but it starts like mm-hmm. it's like love was in. It starts with that thing, and I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. But they really, really dramatically changed the arrangement of the song, and so I didn't want to like rewrite their song. But I was like, oh fuck, if they did it, I can probably do it, you know. Then the sun disintegrates. Between a wall of clouds Somewhere where a winter at No one is allowed there Love and hate were in the air Like pollen from a I didn't ever, ever play the song for anybody in the band before we did it. I said, oh, I, I, I don't think I told them it was like a cover. I just said, oh, I got one I want to do, you know. It was really hard to sing, but I, I just, like, to me, that lyric, love and hate was in the air, like pollen from a flower. And that's just, that's as good as it gets, you know. I just feel like, yeah. oh, wow. But, I, like, I know Bob pretty well, Bob Mold, and we toured mm-hmm. with him, but I don't have his email address anymore or anything. Or text. I would love for him to hear the song and just get his reaction because I, I just think it's like it's kind of out there. It sounds like Bobby Sherman or some shit. Who's <laughs> do you know?
it was very fun to do, and I, I always was a huge fan of Who's Could Do, and we played a lot of shows with them. And, you know, I kind of watched those guys break up, you know, right in front of my eyes. We were still playing shows with them and stuff. And I don't know, I guess every band that has a history of more than five years has their, you know, hardships and troubles and, you know, tough spots. But I don't know, I think things that made me ambitious and want to do music and think that I could do music, I would say like two or who's could do. They were very encouraging to us and they would take us on tour. They were very much like a business model that to me was more interesting than the replacements at the same time because replacements were like very self-destructive. and It, it worked to them. Like in, mm-hmm. with history, it probably was more effective for the replacements. But who's could do? Like they were like, Dude, this is your ticket to get out of here. You know, this is this mm. is how you get out of here. This is, you know, we're gonna play fucking St Andrews Hall in New York, or like we're gonna play show. Like, so to, they had like this kind of do-it-yourself mentality that was really interesting to me, and they were very, very kind to us. And I mean, Bob Mulk produced a couple of our records, and I feel like. I don't know. I just wanted to do that song and kind of do it as like a campfire song and just kind of take it back to how it could have been written on an acoustic guitar. Teenager when you maybe heard the song, but 
didn't fuck with you. Like, what is it about? It did stick with me. It was just like, yeah. touring with him so much. I mean, it was like, Bob kind of had a vocal thing, you know, that he did. And Grant was really an incredibly gifted singer, Grant Hart. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happened with the record label, like when they find they signed to Warner Brothers, like the record label picked Grant Hart songs as all the single single like you know don't want to know if you're lonely you know so i feel like it created like this tension in the band which you could really see when you were touring with them and i don't know i feel like i'm not a huge fan of like trios like the police who's could do mm-hmm. like i like two guitar players that's the class that's why it's more interesting to me like the two mm-hmm. things they did but i feel like i don't know i mean in some ways their records don't sound great but i think that they were really pivotal band for people like Soul Asylum, Loud Fast Rules. I just feel like, I mean, there's live shows. There was cathartic and chaos, and it was really powerful, and I feel like kind of a weird take on one of their songs, but I I really wanted to do it because they were so important to me when I was starting out in music, and I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, Bob Moe probably said five things to me that were as smart as anybody's ever said in the music business about, you know, like, you know, get your own fucking band. Don't listen to the man. Get your own fucking van. <laughs> just do it all mm-hmm. yourself. Make your own teacher. Yeah. I mean, that whole ideology just was something that was, I think at the time, in the 80s, I think that was like, you know, when the Eagles were still making, so it was like very much contrary to <laughs> mainstream music perspective. And I, it was really, I don't know, it always stuck punk rock. Me. Yeah, it's punk rock, man. Like, it yeah. was like, well, I want to thank you so much, Dan. Uh, yeah, so thank how, you, Rob. How do folks get the record? It's going to be streaming and everything. I think there'll be on our Spotify thing, there'll be a link to get, We did vinyl and stuff, so that there's that too. And it's going to be on a record label called N Grooves, which is through Nashville. It's through Universal Music Groups. I think it'll be everywhere, you know? And it'll be on all platforms. And also, like, you know, like mostly mom and pop record stores, like Electric Fetus in Minneapolis and places like that will have it shipped to them. I think we did like, I don't know, 1,500 vinyl things, I think. So they'll be out there for a while, you know, and they're scarlet covered vinyl. I think it's pretty cool. Mm. And I mean, that's kind of what held the process up. But I, I just think for some reason, like making the whole thing full circle, like let's do vinyl, you know. Yeah. What's more punk rock than that, Rob, right? Yeah. <laughs> so can folks get it who aren't in Minneapolis? Can we order it? or? I, I think they'll be, I don't know if we're going to do like a band camp, camp thing like that. But I think what was interesting about the label we did, they have like universal music group distribution, so I think it'll be everywhere. You know, it's not going to okay. be like, I mean, I, I really think that they're pretty involved with the project. They like that. I think that what we hired them to do was to do publicity, promote radio promotion, help us with booking and get the record out everywhere. So that's what we're hoping happens. So you're booking, are you going to be going on tour? We're going to do some shows. We have like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 I'd love to go on tour, but I think we'd have to get the the right thing, you know, to to do it. Mm-hmm. But God, I mean, I think the band is getting. But we only played but maybe a dozen shows thus far, but it gets a little better every time. I mean, I'd love to do it. I I would carve out time to do it, but you know, I think we'd have to be on a a, a bill with someone that was more respected and successful that we were. That was kind of trying to do some fellowship or mentor us in some way, you know, like. Wilco, for instance, wouldn't that be great, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely can't wait for it to come out. And Careful what you wish for, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I can't thank Dan enough for coming back on the show and talking about the new album, Hope's Eternal, by The Scarlet Goodbye. It is available now, so go get it. Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to music these days, you're going to want to hear it. Thanks again to you for listening. Thank you, Dan, for joining me, and stay tuned. I got more coming.